I provided y'all a little uh, little note sheet. Um, not quite as open-ended as Jeff's was last week. However, Obadiah gives us a little different uh, perspective because we can get a little deeper because it is the shortest book in the Old Testament, all of 21 verses. Uh, I think I think if my math is right, uh, Second and Third John maybe the only two in the whole Bible shorter. And if and if you read them word for word, uh, as you can see, Obadiah is a little spaced out on the pages here. Um, you're getting you're getting into one of the shortest books of the Bible. So this one we'll be able to actually read the whole whole book together, uh, and then we're going to look at um, three messages that Obadiah gives in his book, and then kind of three takeaways. Uh, for us this evening. So just want to take a second there um, and, and introduce you uh, to who Obadiah is and his prophecy. Um, as I said before, it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. Um, there's 13 different Obadiahs uh, mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, hard to pin down exactly which one is the Obadiah uh, that gave this prophecy that was given this vision to then share with God's people. Uh, but the word Obadiah, the name Obadiah means one who worships God. Uh, and so at least by that meaning, we know uh, where Obadiah's faith lied, and uh, we can trust that this word uh, that he has shared is God's word and included here in Scripture. Um, one of the things that's really important in understanding all of these books of the Bible is what's happening historically uh, when that book of the Bible, that letter was written, that prophecy was given. Uh, and this is one of the books that there's not a definitive timetable uh, there are four uh, potential options because in uh, the prophecy in the book of Obadiah, there's a reference to Jerusalem being invaded, being taken over. And so obviously you can narrow that down to some times in history when that might have happened. And there are two uh, particular instances because of where Obadiah is referenced in other parts of Scripture uh, that in relation to who was king or what was going on in that passage that it could have been. And the most common assumption of those two options is 586 B.C. when the Babylonians invaded Judah and destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, there is some evidence in a couple places in Scripture that it's also possible that it was closer to 840, a little bit earlier, 840 B.C., when the Philistines and the Arabians uh, raided and looted Jerusalem. The good news is, whether it was one or the other doesn't change what the message from Obadiah is uh, for those reading it when they read it, and, and for us reading it today in present day. And one of the things that we're going to see is, is that throughout this book, the, 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 the people, the Edomites, are going to be mentioned in the front end of this, and it's going to be important to know who they are. Uh, so they were the nation that was formed under Esau. So you had Jacob and Esau. You have brotherly conflict uh, that for really all of history has been ongoing. And so if you think back just in our nation's history, uh, one of the worst times in our country's history uh, was when two parts of our own country fought against one another. Uh, and right there along the border of the North and the South during the Civil War, you had potentially individual families with one family member fighting on one side of the war and one on the other. Uh, it's long been known in history that interpersonal conflict uh, is a reality and it's the most ugly when it's between people of the same family uh, or in civil war between people of the same country, the same nation. Uh, think back to some of the wars that have happened all around the world and some of the most horrific circumstances have happened uh, during civil uh, war, war within country. And so ever since Jacob deceived his father 
uh, Jacob and Esau, their descendants were in conflict uh, with each other and with one another. Uh, the Edomites, they were established by Esau, who had longed to live with animosity towards Israel. God told the Israelites, though, to love Edom and its people like a brother. And this prophecy that we'll read here in just a minute, shared by Obadiah, serves as a lesson to us uh, about the evils of infighting with family. Uh, the certainty that people will suffer eventually for the way they mistreat others, but also the assurance uh, that the enemies of God's people uh, will be defeated. And so we'll see that uh, come out of these verses. And so one of the things that I think is important for us to, to understand tonight is, is, is one of the main uh, and probably the general theme of these 21 verses is that uh, nations and individuals uh, will reap what they sow. Uh, and that can be positive uh, or that can be negative. And so we're going to see uh, some of the negative of that tonight. So Obadiah, uh, starting in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. This says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers come to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Verse 10 transitions, says... Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother. In, this, in the day of, of his misfortune, do not rejoice over the people of Judah. In the day of their ruin, do not boast. In the day of distress, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. And he closes with these last seven verses. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there will be those who escape and it shall be holy and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau and those of Shalaphalah shall possess the land of the Philistines, and they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. 
The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So now, how many of you just read Obadiah for the first time ever in your life? <laughs> or at least heard it read, right? Hopefully, so, hopefully some of you uh, have at least read throughout the entire Bible because we did that as a church family a couple of years ago. So maybe you at least read through it once, maybe hard to remember it. But uh, there, are, there are three messages, three parts uh, of Obadiah's prophecy here. And the first one is this. In, in verse one is God's message to Edom's neighbors. Now, Edom's neighbors... Uh, used to all be Edom's allies. They used to all be in unity together and support one another. But the message from God to Edom's neighbors that then Obadiah is relaying here is that those same allies that were once with you are now taking up arms and they're going to be fighting against you. They are no longer your allies. And the second thing that is, is true in this, because of how word got back through Obadiah to the Edomites, is that, that God's will is going to be accomplished in this world, that God was allowing this to happen, allowing these, these nations around Edom to rise up and take arms against them. And I think what one thing that means for us is that, you know, as we watch things happen in and around the world, that we shouldn't, as believers, we shouldn't sit back and say, you know, well, that's, that's not involving me. That's not involving my country or my family or my church or whatever. That everything that's going on in the world around us is happening for a reason and a purpose. It may not make sense in, in that moment or in that time, but as believers, we shouldn't be indifferent uh, to evil in the world, uh, but also we shouldn't sit by idly and just do nothing. Uh, at minimum, sometimes there's just a call. If we can do nothing else, there's just a call to prayer. A call to grieve what's happening on behalf of, of people that we can't physically go and, and fight for or fight with or be there on their behalf. And so God had given this message here in verse 1 uh, through Obadiah to Edom about their neighbors. He says, we have heard a report in the middle of verse 1. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her. And he's talking about Edom for battle. Now, the next 14 verses, verses 2 through, through 16, uh, talk about God's message uh, to Edom. And there are two parts of this message. Uh, the first part is God's divine judgment that's declared uh, over the Edomites and see if we can pick out several of the things that he is judging them over. Uh, the first one is that God brought down their pride. Uh, the Edomites had become a very prideful people. And in verse two, he says, I will make you small among the nations. The pride of your heart, verse three, has deceived you. You who live in the cleft of the rocks, your lawfully dwelling, say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, and though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. That, 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 that sin of pride that was in their hearts and in their lives, and is really the root of all the other sin, in this world, uh, you know, Satan's chief sin was pride, thinking that he was better than everyone else and could do what he wanted to do. And how many times do we allow pride to then cause us to do something that's in in disagreement with God's word and God's direction uh, for our lives? And we end up disobeying him and falling short of his glory for us. 
Uh, not only were they a very prideful people, uh, but because of their strategic location and because of some, some strategic um, infrastructure and trade routes that passed through their land, they were a very wealthy people. And so not only was God going to take away their pride in this divine judgment, but God also used this judgment to ensure that their wealth would be taken away. Verse 5, if thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not still only enough for themselves? No, they would take everything. You know, when a thief comes in, they're not going to just take a little bit. They're going to take everything they can. And so, and he says, if the grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleaning? See, typically, you know, during different gathering and different crops, there'd be something left for others to come behind and grab. And, and God is using Obadiah to say to the Edomites, I'm taking, I'm going to allow everything to be taken from you. I'm going to take away your pride. I'm going to reduce you to nothing, make you very small. I'm going to take away all your wealth, all your belongings, everything that you've worked for and everything that you've stored up. And then the third thing, the third way that God judges them is he's also going to take the, the peace that they have uh, through their alliances. Verse 7, all your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. So the very people that that they've probably thought that they could have depended on in their time of need are actually the ones challenging them and forcing them out of their lands into the edge of their borders. And God is allowing this divine judgment to happen and working to break Edom's alliances. The fourth judgment that we see is that God warned Edom they would lose their wisdom. Your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Will I not say to you, verse 8, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau. They were known as a very wise people, uh, but God even took that away from them as part of this judgment. And then the verse I read mistakenly, verse 9, uh, their, their army was to be defeated. Your mighty men dismayed. Every man from Mount Esau shall be cut off by slaughter. Uh, so in these verses, we see the divine judgment that's declared out by God on them. But then we also see Obadiah Come and defend God's judgment. In these next several verses, he, he, he outlines the reasons why God's judgment was right and why, why it was okay for God to judge the Edomites in this way. And there are four reasons why it was okay for him to do this. The first one is this. And pointing out the Edomite sins in verse 10, one, they, they, they used violence against their brothers. You know, just as God told his people, the Israelites, to treat the Edomites as brothers, the Edomites did the exact opposite. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you in verse 10, and you shall be cut off forever. That's reason number one as to why this divine judgment by God can be defended. Now, reason number two is that not only did they use violence against their brothers, but they rejoiced at what the enemies of their brothers was doing. When others were attacking the Israelites, and when others were, were coming in and taking over and destroying Jerusalem, they sat and watched and got enjoyment and got pleasure out of it. They rejoiced at what the enemy was doing. Not only did they rejoice, but the third thing we see is that they assisted. It says they gloated in verse 12. They rejoiced. Again in verses 13 and 14, and they stand at the crossroads to cut off the fugitives. They handed over the survivors in the day of distress. At the end of verse 14, the third thing they did was they assisted the enemy in attacking the Jews. And then the last thing they did was they ignored the impending wrath of God. Verse 15, the day of the Lord 
is near upon all the nations as you have done. It shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return to you on your own head. And that is the the climax of, of this book, Obadiah. That is the climax of this prophecy. The day of the Lord is upon all the nations as you have done, as you, the people, the descendants of Esau, the Edomites have done. It shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. And then the last several verses of this, of this prophecy, the book of Obadiah, starting in verse 17 and going through verse 21, are a message to, to God's people, uh, the Jewish people. And again, it's just another reminder. The first thing, it's just another reminder that God will deliver them. God delivered the Israelites from Babylonian captivity. God will deliver His people again in the last days when He establishes His his kingdom. God's Word even says that Moab and Edom will be restored as nations, but the Jews will, quote, burn them, as we see at the end of verse 18, burn them to stubble. And you can see other references to this occurrence in Exodus chapter 15. Verse 7, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 17, and even in Matthew's gospel, chapter 3, verse 12, that yes, they will be restored only to be destroyed again by God's people once and for all. And the second thing, just as, as, as God wanted His people to see that He will deliver them, He also wanted them to see that He will defeat their enemies. Verses 19 and 20 talk about the different lands that were taken over by different groups of people in Israel's history and how the tribes of Jacob will go back into those lands and retake those lands. God will return the land and the possessions to the Jews. And they will only do so with the help of the Lord, uh, not with others around them, not with others from around the world, but they'll do that because God will allow them to do that. And, and a group of people whose unbelief now will turn to belief when they see their Messiah and are, as Scripture says, born in a day. God's people, the Israelites, uh, will have their nation restored. Uh, and most importantly, he's reminding them that he will establish their kingdom. Verse 21, saviors will go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. See, the Lord will reign one day from Mount Zion, and Jesus taught his followers that faithfulness in the present, faithfulness today, uh, will mean reigning with him and his kingdom. And the Lord will reign forever and ever. And there will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And so we see that in God's message uh, to the Jewish people, God, God will and has numerous times delivered them. God will defeat their enemies and will establish their kingdom. And so in these, these 21 verses here, we've seen uh, a very brief uh, history and account of, of, of the rise of God's people, the chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Jews, and the demise of people who chose to be at, at enmity with them, the Edomites, and what, what happens to them. And so what are the things that, that you and I need to take away tonight uh, from these verses? And I think there are three. And I'm gonna, I think you've got each of them on your your notes there, but I'm going to expand upon each of them just a little bit. And the first one is this, is that I think Obadiah's prophecy forces us to identify our enemies. See, part of our spiritual maturity is, is, is one, knowing who our enemy is or who our enemies are. But not just that, we have to know why they are our enemies. Sometimes someone is an enemy to us or a group of people 
is an enemy to us because they're an enemy to something that, that we're connected to. In this case, our walk with Christ connects us to our Heavenly Father. So if somebody is an enemy of God's, then at least on paper or here on earth, they would be seen as our enemy. But then we also have to know how to treat our enemies. And the world would treat the, an enemy differently uh, than God's Word, and specifically God's Son, teaches us to treat an enemy. And just like God told uh, the Israelites uh, to treat the Edomites like a brother, uh, Jesus kind of one-ups him. And what did He tell His followers to do? To what your enemy? Love your enemy. What else for your enemy? Pray for your enemy and bless them, right? Love your enemy, bless your enemy, and pray for them. However, it, I would argue that it's impossible to do that without transformation. And you and I can't be transformed until we're delivered uh, from the one who we're at enmity with the most, uh, the evil one, Satan. And so the second thing that we see, just like we we're forced to identify our enemies, the second thing we see from the book of Obadiah is that we see the power of deliverance. We see for Israel, their deliverance comes on Mount Zion when once and for all their nation is established and they are, they, they are, are, are made whole uh, with their heavenly Father. For us, as non-Jews, our deliverance comes on the cross. Our deliverance happened the day that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we walked into that deliverance as individuals, the day each one of us, each hopefully each person in this room has done this, came to know Jesus as, as Lord and trusted Him as Savior. And so for us, for those on this side of eternity, and for us outside of the Jewish faith, the Jewish nation, our deliverance comes on the cross. And our most significant deliverance is that deliverance from Satan, the evil one. See, it was on the cross that, that Christ defeated the enemy so that we could be free to love our enemies. See, without that deliverance, it wouldn't be possible for us to fulfill that, that teaching that Jesus gave us to love our enemies, to bless them, and to pray for them. And the third thing that Obadiah does for us is it provides confidence in God's ultimate victory. Now, see, the truth is that uh, when, when all is said and done, uh, God will have the final word. Uh, His judgment will be decisive. Uh, and His victory will be ultimate. Uh, and, and, the, and, and the awesome part about that is uh, He did all of that on the cross. It's not something that we have to wait for. It's not something that we're praying happens one day. Uh, it's something that maybe we, we may see play out that final battle when once and for all uh, God establishes His kingdom here on earth. But, but the victory uh, was already won on the cross and He already had the final word when his son said to Telestai, it is finished, it is done, the work is complete, it's over. My victory is ultimate. And so as we think about the conflict that happens in our lives between family, between church family, between churches of similar faith and doctrine, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention is the a model of perfection right now of not having any conflict, right? There's nothing exciting ever going on in, in our, our, our network of 40,000 plus Southern Baptist churches over the world or in our nation right now. Uh, you know, some would say we're as fractured as we've ever been 
uh, since the days of the Civil War. So we are not we are not immune to conflict. We are not unaware or we're not able to avoid it. It's all around us. And so we can go to this final word, this decisive judgment. We can go to this ultimate victory that God has and we can lean into that and trust in that and have hope in that and have and find strength in that and have confidence in that uh, when we're in conflict. Uh, Does that mean that we uh, lord over uh, Scripture, you know, beat people over the head with the Bible? No. We love our enemy. We bless our enemy. We pray for our enemy because Christ has delivered us, because Christ has transformed us and given us the opportunity uh, to, to be obedient, to be faithful to Him. And He's given us 21 verses just past the middle of the Bible in this uncharted territory that we call Obadiah to show us what happens when a group of people doesn't do that. And to show us that in verse 15, it says, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. And so my prayer for for my life, my prayer for your lives, my prayer for our, our church family is that the deeds that return on our heads will be good deeds, great deeds, kingdom deeds, uh, that people uh, who maybe didn't feel loved, didn't experience Christ's love before uh, did so uh, because of the way that we handled conflict with them, because of the way that we handled difficulty with them, or the way that we lived out conflict in our own lives around them. And so I hope this week, and I hope that even this evening, uh, God will begin to just, uh, or continue if He already is working, and do a work in your life to remind you of, of, of who the enemy is, and how we're to respond to them, of the power of His deliverance through His Son Jesus Christ, and of His ultimate victory. Uh, So let's pray together and thank God for that ultimate victory. Heavenly Father, thank you for your your truth tonight. Uh, From this prophet Obadiah and just the the words on these pages and and what they mean for us tonight, uh, that we can can know you and trust you through your son Jesus and you can clearly identify for us uh, who the enemy is in our life and how we're to respond to the enemy. We thank you for the victory that we have over the enemy through your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the deliverance that we have through him and pray that that we would walk each day in and out of conflict, whatever the circumstances are, that we would walk in that victory and that hope and that strength and that confidence that you provide for us. Uh, Keep each person here tonight uh, safe, even just on the way home. Keep each person healthy during this time. And most of all, keep each person uh, focused on you and faithful and obedient to the tasks that you've called each one of us to. I thank you again for tonight and pray that you'd be with us as we go from this place. In your son's name I pray, amen.